core stories, ordinary Marines, extraordinary lives. Hey, everybody. This week we have an extraordinary Marine, J.R. Flatter. And he is a Marine who was a Mustang, again, always my favorites. But he was also a drill instructor. And he developed an organization that serves the DOD, but it's grown. It's a big organization, does a lot of different things for the Department of Defense and the government. But one aspect of it is leadership development. And he has developed a very unusual approach to leadership development. I will let him explain it, but it's, it's very long-term. It's not event-driven, which I find fascinating. So check it out and I'll catch you on the backside. So good afternoon, JR. It's so nice to see you today. So you are a Mustang Marine which are my favorite Marines because of the leadership business. They can lead from a, you know, a couple of different angles. They can lead in a planned way and they're very good at leading spontaneously. So sort of take us through, how did we get to the place we're at now with your organization, including your Marine Corps career, but also your education? because I start my PhD program in January. Oh, so, good so, to you. Yeah. Well, let me know if I can help you at all. Thank you, sir. You'll get, you'll get eventually stuck in the all but dissertation valley of death after your coursework. And that's where you really need the help. So thank you. We'll thank you in advance. Yeah. yeah, I skyrocketed through my PhD in 10 years. <laughs> I thought I was going to finish when I was on active duty, but I got deployed and had to take a leave of absence. You know how that goes. Sure. So how did we get here today? So as you said, I was a Mustang Marine. I was actually a drill instructor, getting ready to pin on staff sergeant, and I had never worked in my MOS before. And so I was having a conversation with my commanding officer about what was next for me, because I knew I was finishing my tour. I was getting ready to go back to the fleet, and I had never served a day in my MOS. Originally, I was a combat, not a combat engineer, a heavy equipment engineer uh, mechanic. And I hadn't spent a day doing that. And so I, I asked him, what's next? And he said, why don't you go get a commission? And I said, well, I've looked at all the programs. I don't qualify for any of them. And he said, the Marine Corps loves their drill instructors. They'll make an exception for you. And they did. I had to get three exceptions to get into the MESEP program, mm -hmm. but they accepted me. And so that's where I got my undergrad degree through the MESEP program. And along the way, I also knew as I started having children, my wife and I started having children. I needed to do something about that. And the Marine Corps wasn't going to pay me enough to get them through college. So I needed to put myself and our family on a path to be able to pay for college, raise them as a family together and stay together and then create a little bit of financial freedom. So I knew even back then, 10 years before I retired, I was going to try and start a business and in order to do that. As you know, I had to differentiate myself. And so got my master's degree in statistical analysis and then a doctorate in leadership. I guess I had this real passion, like a lot of us do, for leadership. But I knew 
that experience wasn't going to be enough. That even though I had been a Marine as an enlisted and then as an officer, uh, that wasn't enough. Just the experience alone. So the scholarship, I added the scholarship to that. And then literally over the past 10 years, developed methods to transfer that scholarship and knowledge to other leaders, which is in many ways the most difficult part. We have experiences, knowledge, and skills. How do you pass those on to someone? And that's through your methods, how you work with your students through coaching, through lecture, through experiential assignment to pass on that knowledge so that they can take it, use it, and then develop their leaders. You know, you didn't just attend any university for your PhD. I mean, George Washington is where I was born. Oh, wow. But it's an exceptional university. Can you talk to me about like how that was for a, a Marine to attend kind of an august university? Sure. Uh, several reasons why I George, chose George Washington First of all, it's very separated from the military. So it wasn't just, I don't want to say just, it was a university that it's not known for military scholars. And so I purposely chose that. I chose public administration as the school, it was the school of business, but a focus on public administration because I knew I wanted to stay in the public sector. And then leadership development was what I knew I wanted to do. The nice thing about George Washington University, half their students are night students. And so you don't get the other professors, you get the professors. And so they're required, the professors at George Washington are required to teach as much at night as they do during the day. And so when I started, I would drive into the headquarters 4.15 in the morning, finish that, go to school, get home about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and did that for quite a while, but it's been very much well worth it. You're beginning the PhD process, so you could see what the road ahead is for you. Uh, I can tell you in hindsight, it's well worth it. The methodologies you'll learn, the, the you know, how to conduct valid studies and analysis, how to write a problem statement, and then go research that problem statement, come up with findings and conclusions that are valid and, and useful very well worth the process. So. Well, I actually will be studying throughout. I've been studying Marines, Marine communication, communication mm -hmm. within the Marine Corps world. And I'll be focused on the difference between highly successful Marines. Now, the key issue, how do I define success in, in Marine? Mm. But I do plan to not crash through it like I have my undergraduate and now two master's degrees, master of art and master of science. I really push through those quickly, but the PhD, I really do want to take my time so that on the back end of it, I have something different to offer. And that, that is what is unique about your organization. This, this idea, I really appreciate that you're separating, assisting leaders on their trajectory over time rather than an event because you know there's a zillion mm -hmm. workshops out there you know weekend a week right. you know, and they're great for that moment but they but there's a fall off there's a fall off in motivation there's a fall off in you know i think perhaps we just have bandwidth for so long but 
the value to leadership is not in, in the short term. The value to leadership is long term. So talk to talk to me about that. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's one of the key differentiators of how we approach this space. Leadership development is a occurs over time. It can't be event driven. And so even a weekend or a week long workshop is an event in your life. Really, when you think about leadership, you should be thinking about your entirety of your life, lifelong learning. And so when we approach leadership, we approach it with a 30 year vision. So I have people that we're working with that are 21 years old. I have people that we're working with that are in their 70s, but we still are talking about a 30 year vision. Where do you want to be 30 years from now or 30 years from now? What do you want your legacy to be? You know, I'm getting to that special age where projecting a 30 year vision is a bit of a stretch. Uh, and certainly some of the people we're working with, uh, 30 year vision is all about legacy. But if you're talking to a 21 year old young woman who I'm working with right now, uh, and she looks at who do I want to be when I'm 51 years old? Well, that's very real and something you can be very purposeful about. You have to be careful to be in the moment every day while you're projecting that 30 year vision. You know, the whole idea of mindfulness and being in the moment is still applicable, but you can and, and I say should say, who do I want to be? For her, she certainly wants to have a successful career under her belt. She wants to be well-educated. She probably wants to accrue some financial freedom along the way. If she chooses to have a family, that's part of that 30 year journey that, that she's going to set out on. So we talk about two or three big things that you want to accomplish with your life and, and how can we get you on that path? And of those two or three things. And so for me and my family, it was education, stay as a family, enjoy one another all, all along the journey. And even to this day and beyond and create some financial freedom for ourselves. So we can have some choices about what we want to do with our lives. For her, it might be something very different, but those three things, if it is three, have to be able to survive life because life happens, right? You get married, perhaps not, uh, perhaps it lasts, perhaps it doesn't. So those big three things have to survive all of that. And equally, it's an intersection of personal and professional. So when we talk about leadership development, we don't just talk about the professional side of that, but the personal side of that, because they're so interwoven, it's impossible to separate them. So what are the 30 year rocks that you have in your life with regard to personal and professional achievement? Certainly you need to be successful in your career. Warren Buffett says the two things you need to do to be successful to foremost is be born in America, not all of us have that blessing and to stay with the same life partner your whole life. Not all of us are able to do that either. So we put all of those things into our planning and then we begin and finish a 12 week engagement. So that's the absolute minimum time that we really like to engage because it takes a long time to get your head around these things. I don't know if you've ever heard the joke, the basic school for the Marines is six weeks of education crammed into six months. Well, the reason we take six months is it takes six months to get your head around. What does it take to be a Marine Corps officer? And, and we use the same methodology, 12 weeks as a minimum. 
there's something magical about 100 hours for the human brain. And so 12 weeks is 86 hours or days. I mean, 100 days. Sorry, I said hours. It takes about 100 days to get your head around something. So we use a 12 week model, 86 days. It gives us a little bit of slippage. If we can't have a, a class or there's a holiday or some other event pops up, we have some wiggle room. But we begin with, you know, what is leadership? That's week one. Week two, talking about principles. What are your life's principles? And what do you need to be a leader of, of your family, of your, of your career, at church, at your soccer club, wherever you choose to be a leader. And so we want one week each for 12 different subjects. And then the final week is where do we go from here? because you're really starting a 12 week journey for the, for the rest of your life. I'll pause there and let you uh, jump in. Well, I was just gonna say that the next, you had mentioned to me before this, that your daughter has taken over leadership of your organization, but in sure. a timely way that you could mentor her for some significant period of time. So talk about that, the future of your sure. So all of my kids at one time or another worked in our business. We're now an intergenerational family-owned business. And three of our four children still work with us. But one of them just decided she wanted to be in an executive role. And so we started many years ago. She's been full-time in the business since 2010, so 10 years full-time. So she started at 22, had a propensity to be an executive, which we can talk about that a little bit as well. What's the difference between being a functional professional or being an executive. And so we decided probably seven or eight years ago, eventually she would sit in the CEO chair as I transitioned to retired life or transitioned to the role I'm in now, chief learning officer. I wanted someone in that chair that could be prepared to run a complex business, a global complex business. And so Three or four years ago, we decided the timing was right now. Uh, let's put you in the CEO chair. I'll step back into the chairman's role, which in you know, corporate governance, the chairman is responsible for governance. The chairman sits at the corporate officers. So the CEO, the COO, chief strategic officer, or any others that you have in the C-suite. And so she's running the business day to day and you know my world, it's run largely by people who look just like me, gray-haired old fat men. And so she was, you know, thrust into that reality. She was a 29-year-old woman with dozens of people working for her that were twice her age, decades of experience. And so one of the reasons we made the transition so early was that I would have an opportunity to mentor her through some of that. And challenges of being a 29 year old CEO of a global company in that uh, environment. There's a lot of them. And so we've worked through most of them. She's doing a magnificent job. She's an amazing leader, uh, an amazing young woman. It's, it's very unusual. Having just been at the LSE, I have found that there's age is a huge thing in business. Mm -hmm. I was the oldest one in my master of science program. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of ageism, if I'm honest, but yeah, it, right. it has to go the other way as well. The ones who were the very youngest there also experienced some 
pushback. Where does your organization go from here? You know, we're asking ourselves that very question. At a certain point in business, you start outgrowing some of the uh, business opportunities that you've thrived on for years, because there are small business set-asides in my industry. And so we're getting into some of those thresholds to say, what's next for us? And so if you're a fly on the wall at any of our executive leadership uh, meetings, you'd be hearing a lot of conversation about where do we go from here? Neither, none of us in the ownership have any need or desire for a wealth creation moment. So we're not going to flip the company. We do have a very strong corporate culture. And so taking care of our team is very, very important to us. We have a very familial culture. I don't know if you've read Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code. It's a great book. I'd highly recommend it to anyone uh, that's listening. But he talks about three things you need to have a strong culture in an organization. And the first is a sense of family. So we certainly had that in the Marine Corps. Uh, we're all part of that Marine Corps family. And we've tried to replicate that in our company. And so if you have that kind of familial culture, flipping is not part of that future. And so that's why we've decided we're an intergenerational family-owned business. We're going to stay that way. And so what else does that mean? Looking for perhaps different markets that have different small business size standards, splitting off and creating another company, perhaps. We haven't yet decided where, where we're headed and we have a few years to figure that out. So we're right in the midst of all that. Ashley, talk to me, although I think I could probably answer this question for you, how your Marine Corps experience influenced where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. It was foundational. I had the luxury of being a leader before I came in the Marine Corps a little bit. But from 18 to 39, I was in this amazing organization that's literally a leadership factory. You've probably heard the saying, I think it was Al Gray who first said, if two Marines in the room are in the same room, one of them's in charge and the other one knows it. So it's a very strong leadership environment. But I also think simultaneously, it's one of the least understood leadership philosophies, if you will. It's very participative. Even as a young private or as a young second lieutenant, I can remember being asked and, and being expected to give my opinion. Our officer candidate school, our basic school are absolutely amazing. We've, I've been out there in the world, had the opportunity to, to attend some other service schools, and you know, we're knocking it out of the park with that foundation of leadership that we give our young leaders. And then they get to practice it immediately. I work with some of the other services and you don't get leadership opportunities until you're in the middle or the latter part of your career. And so experience, we, as you and I were discussing earlier, we look at leadership in three circles, the scholarship, what's going on in the human brain, and how do you uh, educate and train adults is a big part of it. Uh, methods are a big part of it. How do you take what's in your mind and give it to another person in a meaningful and lasting way? And the third and probably the most experienced is experience. Having an opportunity to lead is really the greatest way to lead, to learn to lead. And so we're given an opportunity to lead literally from day one. 
practicing being a squad leader, practicing being a platoon commander, practicing being a company commander. So yeah, foundational. When I was at the LSC, there was a course we had to take about leadership, the altruistic leader. And it was taught by an, Ameri mm -hmm. an American, sort of a highly placed professor there at the LSE. But her whole thing was leadership. And she talked to me one day about how she had studied Marine Corps leadership in her, in her journey to, to teach leadership. And I, I couldn't, you know, even as a, as an academic, as a, as a sailor, as a long time Marine Corps historian and civilian journalist, I could not articulate well, except to say, except to say that there, this business of muscle memory seems so simplistic, but, but it's not. As soon as they're taught something, Marines are taught something academically, if you will, theoretically, they're immediately using their hands and body to learn it that way as well. Mm -hmm. And then, and then to use that knowledge to lead Marines to the destination of that knowledge, whatever the purpose of that knowledge is. And, yeah. the, and this, this business of the Marine Corps birthday, everyone's, know, but it isn't often talked about, but I think it's critical to Marine Corps success. And that is this, this tradition of the oldest and youngest Marine in the room to cut the cake. Now, I know that this seems so yeah. simple, but it's not, it's not simple. That yeah. is sh showing that the same things that taught that old Marine that he learned are the same things this young Marine has learned. And it has led this country yeah. defense over in that room uh, between those two people decades. So anyway, mm -hmm. I know I know that we're short on time, but I just wanted to validate what you had said. Yeah, I think put on my professor hat, what you're talking about are creating and respecting artifacts as part of your culture. And it's so important to create and celebrate and have respect for those artifacts, regardless of what your organization is. So we celebrate in our organization birthdays. My wife literally sits down and hand writes birthday cards, anniversary cards for every employee, every spouse, every partner, every child all year long. And it becomes one of those artifacts. One of our most prized possessions is getting notes from four and five-year-old children, thanking them for their gift card and thanking them for, we give everybody their birthday off. It's part of that, the artifacts of how do we differentiate ourselves from our competitors? It's a hyper-competitive market we're in and you have it, to find those differentiators. Well, no, that's a beautiful thing. Those two details are fascinating and, and extremely unique and very valuable, especially as you say, there's no way to not integrate your personal life and your mm -hmm. professional life. Mm -hmm. And if an employer values your personal life, your family, your family members, how can you not build loyalty that way? How can you, how could there be anything but a commitment to that organization as an, as an employee? I mean, you, a lot of employees leave who are very well paid just because they're ignored or treated poorly. So I, yeah. I see the great value in that. I love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to my leadership and my CEO's leadership, that's what we're all about. And I don't just say that to say that it's true. We are 
I, I don't necessarily use the term servant leaders because that means something very different in the academic world than, than people might think. But we do live to serve our team and our thoughts are always on, are we doing enough? Are we educating them? Are we providing them experience? Are we providing them opportunity? So I didn't mention the other two things to building a culture from Daniel Coyle. So the first is family. Do they feel like they're part of a family? The second one is, do they feel safe in that family? Can they make mistakes? Can they speak their mind? And the third is, do they see opportunity for themselves in the family? Promotions, bonuses, rewards. So family, safety in the family, and opportunity within the family. And that's what we're all about. That's what we think about from the C-suite. How can we do that and do it better? I love it so much. So, JR, how can Marines and the people in my audience, the Marine Corps family, find you? So we're Flatter Inc. And so www.flatterinc.com. I'm JR Flatter, so jr.flatter at flatterinc.com. We're, we're on LinkedIn, so you'll find us on LinkedIn. You'll find us on Facebook. In addition to Flatter Inc., we have a wholly owned subsidiary with what we call Two Roads Leadership. And you, I'm sure are familiar with Robert Frost's poem, Two Roads Converged in the Wood. And so we're always standing at that intersection asking what's next for us and what's next for the people that we're consulting. Uh, so we have a, a team of about 100 or more retired flag officers from all four services to include the Coast Guard guards and reserves they're working with us we have international coach federation certified coaches i myself am an international coach federation certified coach so we're out there ready to help in any way possible well it's been my pleasure and my honor to interview you today i thank you so very much and i hope you'll stay in touch and maybe i will be in touch as i hit the valleys of my phd <laughs> journey and maybe some peaks too it's been a pleasure right, yeah. and honor take care in touch soon bye right, well did we love that interview isn't he fascinating this approach to 30-year plan and developing an organization that is so committed to the long-term benefit of everybody involved it's it's a beautiful approach to leadership and very unusual so it was my great honor. And actually, I may get to interview his daughter, who's, who he has brought along and who's so young, but perhaps because she's the daughter of a Marine Corps drill instructor, she has a certain different, wonderful approach to corporate leadership. Anyway, thank you so much. Please hit subscribe and we'll catch you the next time. Semper Fidelis. Core Stories. Ordinary Marines, Extraordinary Lives.